mini episode 1194 of the FBH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You'll want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1194. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here with one of our favorite friends of the show that we are welcoming back to the show. It's been a while since we've had him on, but we are going to be breaking down Super Bowl 54 with a man who played the game at the highest level, a man who, uh, again, had the first uh, return touchdown in the history of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 1994, a man who has the foot speed. I'm not talking then. I'm talking today to be a member of the Legion of Zoom there in uh, Kansas City. Uh, one, one of the fastest players in the NFL when he was there. And as we've talked about previously, uh, man, if only the world was a little bit more enlightened about scat backs back then, uh, because uh, this guy was as explosive as it came on the gridiron, has subsequently gone on to, that would be the career peak for, for most people, but has gone on to bigger and better things, author, motivational speaker, and in terms of being an author, that is going to take uh, new forms as far as his story being told. We'll get into that a little bit more. I can only be speaking of my good friend and uh, a tremendous inspiration, Vernon Turner. Great to have him back on the show, talking about the game that he played at the highest level. Vernon, welcome back on, my friend. How are you doing today? Uh, thank you so much for the insight, man. It's always an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. It's always great to have you on, and uh, I, I, I always enjoy getting your insights uh, on the NFL. And uh, Back when we got together some years ago and went to uh, South by Southwest, it was great to get to uh, talk about the game with you a little bit then. And uh, I remember making you laugh because uh, you were talking about how uh, uh, Wayne Fonts back in the day was uh, criminally uh, underusing you and uh, not in the, as far as how your treatment was the year you were on that team. And I was like, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I had Andre Ware on my fantasy team, and he destroyed his value. <laughs> and you were like, not exactly the same thing, Rick. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, your, your career uh, obviously gives you a lot of insights into uh, something like Super Bowl 54. And in talking about this, I mean, again, with, with speed being the absolute forte of your game. The league completely different uh, back in the day. Uh, you know, I've always thought that in recent years, if you were going to tell a story of the evolution of the league, somebody should write a book called That Bleep Don't Work on Sundays, because that's what we used to think. We used to think the spread and guys that came in from a quote-unquote gimmick offense like Patrick Mahomes in college, we used to think that can't work at the NFL level. But for a guy who had your skill set and everything like that, watching this Kansas City offense, you've got to be thinking about all the things you could have done uh, if the Vernon Turner of then was playing in today's game. Well, I, I tell you what, Rick, I, I appreciate you, you giving me a lot of accolades, man. I, I think I was, I, I, I truly feel that I wasn't that great of a uh, football player, that great of an athlete. I just out 
opportunity to do some things in the league, which I'm truly honored and blessed uh, to do. But when I see these guys right now the way they are, I mean, not only are they like trash stars, but they are like dynamic, like arcade-ish, like video game-ish right. type players. It's like it makes no sense. Uh, you should, it shouldn't even be allowed to have that much speed on one team. It almost it feels that way, you know. It's uh, that to see a young man like Mahomes to to, and it what's great about it is is that he was put on the right team right. for his skill set. Andy Reid is one of the best, if not the best, coach out there because you you're not going to find anybody that's going to say a bad thing about that guy. Everyone loves him, and they will run through a wall for this guy. Not only that, he's just a he's a savant when it comes to game scheming and game planning, and then he's able to utilize these that skill set to to the to the utmost, you know, to their limits. So um, I'm, I actually picked the Kansas City Chiefs, but I did say it would be between seven and ten points. I mean, uh, three and three and seven points. And I said to myself, it was going to be the last drive is going to determine the, the, the victor, the victor in, in the game. So my thought process is, is that it was going to be a shootout. Um, I knew that it was going to be difficult. I tell you what, San Francisco played a, a lot of better defense than I thought they were going to play. And that all came from in the first half. Then the second half came, adjustments were made, and the next thing you know, Mahomes became Mahomes. He did his thing and what he's been doing all since he took over at that quarterback home. So just to see how that whole thing transpired, and um, it was such a joy to see uh, Andy get his first Super Bowl. He was there before and uh, to get his first one on his belt. And what are you going to say about Patrick Mahomes when he's the youngest Youngest human being to win an MVP and a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean that, that is incredible, and it all stems from the fact that Andy let that young man be him. You know, he, he allowed him to take his skill set and do his thing, and this is the end result: the, the world champion. Yeah, they are, and I got to tell you. So I'm going to flash back the last week's uh, show when I did the preview. I am going to be humble about what I got wrong, and I'm going to put myself over for what I got right. I identified, I believe correctly, the key to the game. What The reason I picked San Francisco 27-24 is I did not think Andy Reid was going to take my advice. And it turns out uh, maybe, some, maybe somebody sent him a tape of the show, Vernon, because uh, here, here was what I said coming in. And, and, and tell me what you think. I'm looking at it like San Francisco... They are dominant in terms of time of possession. It's their style of play. It's the way that they do it. We saw what they did to Green Bay, chewing them up with the run. But that's how they're comfortable playing. Kansas City, boom, 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 up and down the field. They don't really worry about time of possession. San Francisco had about a two-minute edge when you compare the regular season numbers. And I'm sitting here looking at it like Kansas City cannot afford to just say, okay, you guys go ahead and beat us in time of possession. They go out and they execute a game plan where they outrush, they outran them. I think it was 29 carries to 22 or something like that. Kansas City had 33-13 in terms of time of possession. That first half 
when the rest of the world, I think, was probably sitting there going, hey, this doesn't look like Kansas City. What are they doing running the ball as much as they did? I draw a straight line between that and the fourth quarter when the San Francisco defense looked gassed. I thought Andy Reid called a perfect game as far as how that went. And I didn't think he was going to deviate from the usual game plan. I was wrong. But he followed the game plan I thought he should have followed, and he won. What are, what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> well, uh, prior to the game, uh, my, my, again, my prediction was uh, that Kansas City had a slight edge. Mm-hmm. But um, um, I didn't think that San Francisco defense would, would match up well with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs offense. I just thought that they had too much speed. And I knew they were going to play zone. Mm-hmm. I knew they, they, they can't. They, it's difficult. The only position that they could man up would be the tight end. Yeah. Uh, uh, Travis Kelsey. That's the only position that they can go man. Everything else has to go cover three, uh, cover one. And or if they go into the goal man, they had to disguise it like like zone. So I knew that they would most of the time they're going to stay in zone. And in, in zone, all they got to do is just push those the fingers a little bit and then stop and they have their room their cushions are just dink and dump dink and dump so but at the beginning of the first half San Francisco came out swinging like yeah. they, you know the, the up front which I thought that they had to play out of their mind mm-hmm. the down line the defensive line I thought they would have to play out of their mind to get Mahomes off his game and that's what they did the first half they had a perfect game plan they did. But I tell you what, like I said, uh, you know, Andy went in the halftime and he had plenty of time with the halftime show. He had plenty of That's time right. <laughs> to, to, to think and, and, and counter everything that these guys were doing. And then the next thing you know, they started digging and dunking. They started adding the run. And they started moving up, moving the chains. And, and it rattled us because next thing you know, Kansas City Chiefs started making some plays on defense. And it rattles them a little bit. And then you get, uh, you know, Garoppolo to throw an interception, and then it just, it, it, things just swapped and changed. And I still said it to myself, as I was watching this game, I'm like, it's still going to be a close game. It's sure. still going to be a close game. And then who would have ever known the running back, I was his name, Williams? Williams, yeah. Yeah, he breaks, what, a 30-some-odd run? Right. And uh, on the, around the left side, I'm like, oh my God, they just put the exclamation point on it just now. And uh, messed up my spread. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, it was still a great game, and uh, the better team won. I feel like the better team won, but it still was a great game. Um, the, the referees, uh, the, and they, uh, you know, people are speculating about the call to push off. Yeah. The kiddo made. Mm-hmm. The thing of it is, is that for the most part, those officials allowed those players to play. Yes. It, they let him play. But that one was so obvious and it was the, the referee was right there. It was he had to make that call. Mm-hmm. He had to make that push off call. So it was the right call. By rule, it was the right call. So I think that the, the officials let the players play and the players did play and the best team won at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. They did, and uh, that was a thing. You mentioned uh, Kettle and uh, Kittle and Kelsey 
uh, arguably the two best tight ends in the league. And I got to tell you, there was a little extra oomph at our Super Bowl party because uh, one of our core FBH Lounge dignitaries, my good friend John Adams, just happens to be Travis Kelsey's middle school art teacher. So there was a little extra hooting and hollering in the room when he got the touchdown. Uh, as everyone was saying, you know, Mr. Adams's prize pupil gets it done. But it's a thing where, in, in watching this, yeah, San Francisco, they were only 17th in the league in rushing defense in terms of yardage. So that was a little bit of a soft underbelly that nobody was much paying attention to going into the game. But this is a thing where I still found it a little bit surprising in the end because you look at it, and I guess at the end of the day, maybe this is a little bit of, I'm always fond of historical comparisons. It reminds me a little bit of what the Saints did 10 years ago when their defense was like good enough. It was like, if we can get our defense to just be middle of the pack, then Breeze can carry us. And that kind of felt like this year Kansas City's defense was good enough when they weren't last year. But it's a thing where in looking at it, I did feel going in like San Fran was the more complete team. And I got to tell you, as somebody whose second favorite team historically has been the Dolphins, I was having bad flashbacks coming into this game of Super Bowl 19. Remember Dan Marino going in there against the fairly complete 49ers team, and they got exposed for being one-dimensional. So again, that makes me just applaud Andy Reid all the more for not going in with a one-dimensional game plan. I mean, the, four, the, uh, the Dolphins of 1984 would have had no such recourse because they couldn't run the ball for crap. But Andy Reid going to that, and being able to to be multi-dimensional, as you're saying, and crafting a game plan, you have a San Francisco team that I think many people would consider to be better balanced, certainly better defensively, and again, maybe this is just a feel kind of a thing, but it feels like the team that's the better balanced team, the better defensive team a lot of times in these games comes out in the end over the team that's more explosive. So for Kansas City to get it done, to me, is almost a little bit of a historic outlier in that sense and something I give them even more credit for in terms of getting it done in the end. Well, and, and the thing that is is that as you look at that game, and, and I think you already touched on it, that San Francisco 49ers, they were cast mm -hmm. second half. Yeah. That, especially that fourth quarter. Yeah. And it, this is that, I'm surprised about that because when you have to cover these cats for four quarters, we're talking about a track meet now. We're talking about a, a, a four, a, a four by four, four by one hundred medley. You know, they got to keep these guys, and every one of them can run. All, all of those guys were able to sprint. I mean, like run. And think about doing that for four quarters. You know, every time they're coming off that ball, and you got to go. You got to back the DBs. They got to stay in back pedal mode, and they got to turn and run with these guys. I see. I saw the the covers that they were running for the most part, and um, I tell you what, I'll give. I got all the respect in, in the world for Richard Sherman because um, he knows that he wasn't the same Richard Sherman years ago. Right. He knows it. What's great about him, though, he can adjust. He's so smart. He has his 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 his, eye, his football IQ is off the charts. He knows where to put himself in the right position make plays, but I truly feel that it was just too much dog on speed, too much, not only the speed, but the dynamic uh, run-after-catch ability that each and every one of their skill positions, skill players had on the Chiefs side. I'm not taking anything away from San Francisco 49ers because they are, they were badass themselves as far 
feel that Kansas City Chiefs had Chiefs had a little bit more, and they had more more oomph at the end. Yeah. You know? And it, it's all about that momentum. Once the momentum shifted and changed at you know, after the inception, and then you know some other stop stoppages that they had. Once they started stopping them and getting that ball back and started moving the ball, it took some even that much more air air out of the San Francisco defense. You know, it, it was it, it, it was a it was a challenging but I tell you what though, I would not be surprised to see both of those teams back next year. Yeah. I would not be surprised. Very possibly could happen. And you look at that and again in, in looking at the reaction on Twitter in the first half, uh, as uh, as they're going along a lot of people were looking at it like, eh, this doesn't look like the Chiefs, as they were running the ball a lot, as they were chewing up clock. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there like, Andy Reid, hats off to you. You're proving me wrong. You're, you're doing what you got to do here. And I agree with you. I think that, w- that was key to getting San Francisco gassed in the fourth quarter uh, because I think a lot of uh, pundits, maybe even the San Francisco coaching staff, expected Kansas City to come in playing high octane from the start and just say, we don't care if we lose time of possession. We're going to go out there and try and put up 60 points on you. But it was it was a brilliant game plan. And like I said, uh, if I had the confidence that Andy Reid was going to follow that game plan, I'd have been smart enough to pick him ahead of time the way that you were. But, you know, you, you have that overlaying the game. And then something I want to ask you about in particular, uh, something where I think you can speak on this a little bit better than a lot of other folks that we could get on, who uh, have played the game at, at the pro level because of your personal experiences. I'm wondering your thoughts on the players coming into the week. You're looking at a generation of players that probably a lot of guys on both teams regarding Kobe Bryant as a sports hero. And just the entire, just the huge cloud, the downer that the week started on, and it really kind of lingered over a good part of the week in terms of the tragic passing of Kobe, his daughter, all the people on the helicopter, you know, you have to be able as an athlete to go out there and compartmentalize. And yeah, I mean, if you're really fortunate, you're somebody who can sort of challenge, channel this and get more out of yourself in the end. But for a lot of them, I think it's probably just survival, getting through it, not having it dominate your mind. Your thoughts on this based on your own experiences of having to process and compartmentalize and everything like that in your career, some of some of the, the the grief and the things that you had to go through. Your thoughts on what some of these guys might have been dealing with and how they were maybe coping this past week. I, I tell you, you know, it's just even hard to even to even comment because I I, I I I recap and I rehash. I, I don't exactly where I was when I when when it was first announced. First, I was just going through my phone, you know, the, uh, I had a message on my Facebook, and um, once I checked the messages, then, you know, the, the, the feed stream uh, would, 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 would come up, and then I, it said, oh, rest in peace, Kobe. Brian, I had his picture. I'm like, who's hoaxing now? Yeah. And, you know, and then I went, I scrolled a little bit more, and then they had another one. I'm like, and they're doing a number. And then I closed my phone because I didn't think anything of it. And then someone next to me, uh, sitting at the sports bar, uh, made a, made a comment about Kobe Bryant, you know, crashing the helicopter. 
And I went back on my phone and I scroll, started scrolling some more and there was a whole bunch of stuff. I said, there's no way. Because I, 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 I met Kobe. I got a chance to speak to the guy. I mm -hmm. had dinner with the guy. Uh -huh. um, unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a savant. He's a genius. I mean, the guy can speak four different languages. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable the brilliance of this guy and what he, what he bought as an athlete, you know, to the game. And uh, to answer your question, as an athlete, especially as a professional athlete, you are built to flip a switch. I mean, you will be one person off the field, and then as you're leading, as you get closer to game day and kickoff, your whole your whole mind, your thought process shifts and changes, especially on game day. On game day, you're not thinking about anything else other than that game. You're getting yourself in that in that mindset. I can tell you personally, I couldn't speak to anybody on game day. Mm -hmm. I was a mean little cuss. I mean, I was I didn't like my teammates. I didn't like my coaches. <laughs> I didn't like anybody. I mean, I was going to war. I mean, that was my mindset, and I shifted my 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 thought process into that. No matter what was going on. And I had some stuff going on outside of football. Sure. But when I got on that field, it was war. I shifted, I shifted, I, I flipped a switch. And that's what, that's what you, that's what you do as a professional athlete. You flip a switch. And all you do is think about ball and what you gotta get done. And everybody has their own little thing, their own little superstitions and quirks and they do to get themselves prepared. But that's the reason, you know, to, to answer your question, uh, athletes, especially at that level, they just have a way to flipping a switch. And it, it can be, okay, when I get to my locker and when I sit down in my seat, it's on. I mean, it can be just that quickly, just like that's their switch. Mm -hmm. You know, mine was I had to walk around the field. When I first got to the stadium, I'll put my bag down and I go out to the field with my street clothes on and everything and I just walk around the field one time. And I touch every corner of an end zone. And then as I walk off, I, my gear, my, 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 my switch is flipped. It's game time. And I don't think about anything else other than returning punts and kicks or whatever else I think I was doing in my playing days. Sure. So, yeah, so that's what we do, man. We, we flip the switch. And that's, we had no other choice, you know. And I know their hearts were heavy, especially with the, with the, with the, with the tribute and everything. But even then, they, this, this switch is flipped. And, and it's, and it's time to play ball. Well, that's an excellent uh, insight, and I knew you would have a very good one on that. Uh, again, having gone through some of the same things personally as far as how you surmount, how you put things out of your head when you're on the field, and uh, again, all of these things, and you know, as we sort of alluded to before, uh, in terms of uh, your life experiences and everything like that, that is what is uh, powering you through now uh, a second career, uh, in terms of being uh, an author, in terms of being motivational speaker, and of course everybody can follow along with what you've got going at Vernon M. Turner on Twitter, and of course VernonTurner.com. That's an excellent hub for news, and I know that you've just recently updated that. 
with with news of uh, your your projects here. But uh, some things I know you can talk about. Some things I know are still in development. So. I'm going to leave it open-ended for you, my friend. Uh, talk about what you got going on here, any of the things you can allude to right now, anything you'd like the people to know. Well, that, I, I appreciate that, Rick. And, you know, it's been, like I said, I, I've been nonstop. I don't know how else to live my life. Um, the grass does not grow underneath my buttocks. I've always got something going on. And one of the, the two big things that are going on right now, I just completed my second book. It's titled um, Beyond the Limits, Finding My Purpose. And it's going to be more or less of a self-help book. And I'm also going to share three other amazing stories from three unbelievable people. Uh, they, their stories kind of parallel to, the, to some of the things that I've been through. But um, this next project, this next book project is going to be act more of a self-help. So I'm hoping that it does help. And then in, in, in addition to that, off my first book, The Next Level Again, I had to play. Now, um, I'm sure everyone knows by now, it's being reincarnated into a feature film. And uh, we have some new producing partners that I'm proud to uh, to call them uh, my partners. You know, we uh, have Gabrielle Union and her husband, Dwayne Wade. Then we have Sierra. Accomplished recording artist uh, and awesome lady, and her husband Russell Wilson. So we have pretty much the power couple. In addition to that, my existing producing partners um, with Magic Cower, the Brett Thirsty, Justin Serkin, and um, Nicholas Casadas. Uh, those guys. So I have. I truly feel like I have uh, uh, the dream team slash the team, and getting this uh, this film made. I, there are things that I can discuss in regards to the film, and that is we're still in a pre-production phase as far as, you know, vetting our directors and trying to get the right fit uh, on start director front. So we have the field of, of the cast members that we're going to uh, be going after. We have a feel so very confident on the people that we are we're going to select to play uh, various roles. Um, but the one thing that I do know um, that I'm pretty extremely confident on that is Gabrielle Union. That young lady is so special. Um, you know, if anyone knows about her backstory, it's kind of parallel to my mom's uh, backstory. And um, I truly feel that she's going to do uh, my mother's role justice and she's going to crush it. I think this will be probably most likely to be her Oscar. I feel that confident. So, Oh, well, I'm just excited in general. I'm letting them do their thing. Um, they they send me my updates and let me know what phase we're at, what we're doing, what the plan is. Uh, again, I'm kind of on a gag order where I can only save it so much, but for the most, I can do, I can tell you this: it is happening. Uh, the words and title is relentless for the film. And uh, you know, as I reflect back, when I look at my life, um, I think it was titled pretty. I think it was perfectly titled. Yeah, very much <laughs> so. You know, just one word. And um, as I look back and I reflect on my journey, um, it, that, it has been a relentless journey. It really has. So um, I, what, what I'm hoping and praying comes out of it is that people really get, you know, um, they, they get something out of this, out of 
my journey. Um, I, tr- I truly feel with the writer that we have that wrote the script, the script is complete, of course, and uh, Brad Gann, he wrote uh, Invincible with Mark Walter, and um, he did an amazing, unbelievable job writing Invincible. Um, got a chance to spend some quality time with him after his writing. And, um, I mean, I'm the one that lived it, and he had these tears. And with the one thing that I was, uh, I was really moved about was the fact that how, how authentic he kept it. He kept my story. Um, very little to no embellishment, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, he's not going to get it any more uh, authentic than, than what he wrote. And so I'm really proud about that and honored my family. My, my mom and my dad. And, um, I, I, I'm just so proud of him and, and what he did for us. So I'm, I'm, I'm nervous and scared. Um, you know, it's one thing, like I told you, on your behind the scenes, it's, it's one thing to write your write about your life in the form of a book. But when it's reincarnated into actual real life people, to betray aspects and times and points of your life that you have, don't have ever come to grips with. It's scary, it really is, but the only thing that's keeping me full, that's keeping me, uh, I get moving forward with this project because it's, so, it's not about me. You know, it's way above me. It's about, you know, moving forward and helping people, paying it forward. And if I could do that with my journey, uh, you know, that's my purpose. You know, finding, just like my second book, you know, Beyond the Limits, finding, finding a purpose in life and I can my purpose is to help as many people as I can before I join my family up above. Well, it's very exciting, again, as a friend of yours, to see all of this playing out because these projects here, I, I know how everything that you're doing in the entertainment realm is, is helping you get to this point of being able to, to reach the core mission of helping other people as your story gets to be more and more known. And I know that uh, being featured in the uh, Sheryl Sandberg Plan B book was a part of that as well here. And every time another one of these dominoes falls, I know you're getting to a point when you can be out there more and, and helping to leverage your story to help other people, which I think you have very correctly identified as that's the point of this entire thing here. That's what you're meant to do. And I'm just very, very happy that all the pieces are falling into place for you. Well, I tell you, yeah, it's, I've come across a lot of people in my lifetime um, that has had a profound impact. Um, and and, and it, if, if it wasn't just a smile or a, a gesture or just like yourself, man, I mean, uh, you keep those type of people around your circle. You will always be in my circle, Rick, because the way you carry yourself, the way you, you the respect you give me, uh, the, just your overall I've known you, and my friend speaks as well. Yeah. So I, I know you guys. You guys have great hearts, and and uh, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm, I'm a little bit too focused, and and when I'm too focused, and I'm driven, I get in my little cubby hole in my little cocoon, and I just got my blinders on, and I'm moving forward. But know that you guys, I'll never forget you guys. You'll always be in my circle. You'll always be a part of me because. Yeah.
Well, thank you. You trying to make me cry, big guy? But uh, you know, no, I, I, I that's very uh, humbling to hear from you. I, uh, I appreciate that, and uh, right back at you, because as I've said, you, uh, you are an inspirational figure, and uh, it is, it is no less for for any of the people, for any of the countless people who first read your story, whether it be in your book or on the Player Tribune article, which I know was a big breakthrough along the way. Uh, for any of the people that have read that. Uh, multiply that uh, by somebody who uh, knows you and uh, is privileged to uh, count you as a friend. Uh, and that's how I feel, uh, is that level of inspiration all the more so. And uh, I look forward to the day, uh, sounds like in the not-too-distant future, when we can reconvene and you can get into a little bit more detail about what's going on. When you are in full-on promotional mode, uh, we will make the most of it, because uh, uh, nobody's going to hype you like your boy here, Ricky, but, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll be well, talking I, about I it. Promise, I promise you this, Rick, but as soon as they give me the green light uh, to share more, um, I'm going to circle back with you ASAP, and we'll, we'll rock and roll. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, like I said, I appreciate primarily... Uh, the chance to be of service on this because again uh, we got to get the word out there about this project and and again I know it's not gonna it's not gonna uh, suffer for lack of publicity with some of the players in it that you've already mentioned but uh, I will be honored to do my part in amplifying the news uh, when the day comes on this about uh, the full extent of what's going on here but uh, in the meantime always a pleasure to get you on always a pleasure to talk football with you and to pick your brain a little bit and uh, again I knew that you were enjoying watching the game as was all of america last week uh, a really really good game a change from last year uh when a lot of people were just kind of snoozing with a, with a game that didn't have a lot of flow didn't have a lot of you know back and forth excitement this was a game this year where uh it, it really had some twists and turns and was really you know pretty compelling and i knew it would be very compelling to break it down with you Thank you so much for being here today, Vernon Turner. And uh, like I said, we'll get you on again in the near future. Appreciate you making the time. Thanks a lot for having me, Rick. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you during your class act. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini, episode number 1194.